it's easier said than done, but yeah, get help. Listen to your family and friends. Uh, listen to professionals, I guess, because not everyone has good family and friends. Getting through day-to-day life, being a family person. I'm not religious, but doing unto others what others want, what you want others to do unto you, or whatever. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, I think it's, that's a good uh, a good way of thinking either way. I accomplished finishing my bachelor's degree, uh, which took me ten years, and I accomplished getting my very first scholarship from the BC Schizophrenia Society. I'm developing my own business plan for motivational speaking, and I'm uh, happy with the progress I've made. I wrote two books, three books actually, and two of them I have published now. Uh, last year I took Japanese for a year in university and I got an A plus the first semester and I got an A the second semester. A lot of us get caught up in social media or like viewing others, what other people have accomplished and then comparing ourselves. I think it's just better to reflect what works best for you, where you're at in that moment, and just being present in the moment. You're listening to Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined, a podcast brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and other BC partner organizations. I'm Phaedra Aldridge. And those were some of the voices from our panel made up of people living with serious mental illness talking about some pretty amazing accomplishments. Today's episode is all about hope. And when I think about hopefulness, one of the very first people I think about is Erin Hawks Emeru. Erin has a master's in neuroscience. She's a mom to a young daughter, a wife, and a friend to many. She's a mental health peer support worker here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Erin has previously been awarded the very prestigious Courage to Come Back Award in the mental health category, and is a published author of not one, but two books. The latest book is called When Neurons Tell Stories, A Layman's Guide to the Neuroscience of Mental Illness and Health. But life has not always been easy because in addition to all of the above, Erin has schizophrenia and her journey with it has been an especially difficult one. She's been put on eight different psychoactive medications, undergone 14 mental health hospitalizations, survived two abusive relationships, and has seen more psychiatrists than one can count. And yet, despite decades of internal and external strife, Erin is thriving. Now, parts of today's conversation with Erin will be difficult, since we're going back to the beginning to when she first started experiencing problems with schizophrenia and attempted suicide. Erin, I'm just so happy and so honored to get the opportunity to speak with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to hearing your story. Welcome to Look Again. Thank you. So Erin, I just rattled off all of the, we'll call them your greatest hits of your journey with schizophrenia. But let's start at the beginning. How did your illness manifest itself? When I was really little, it was like having a little extra friend. When I was in elementary school, I would at recess play games with the voices that I heard. Did your family notice anything at that point, Erin? No. I just know it from little things. Like I can remember when driving in the car, I would hear classical music coming from the trunk. And I remember asking my mom to turn the radio up because I liked it. And she said, Erin, the radio's not on. 
So just little things like that, that no one really pays attention to until in retrospect, you look back and not only did the radio not be on, I also know that Chevette's don't have speakers in the trunk. And when did your illness become a problem? Uh, late teens, early 20s. And what type of symptoms were you experiencing, Erin? Uh, really harsh comments about me. And it's what drove me to a very serious suicide attempt when I was 21, 22. And it breaks my heart to hear that you experienced voices that were so awful to you and so harsh that you wanted to take your own life. Can you take us back to that point and what was going through your mind and what the voices were telling you, just to, just to paint a picture so people can understand what schizophrenia truly is? They would give me sort of signs. Like I'd, if I'd be walking along the sidewalk, I'd see some little piece of garbage and I'd pick it up and I thought it had immense significance, like a little, a little piece of wood in the shape of a cylinder. I said, oh, that's a bullet. Someone's going to shoot me. And then the voices, especially that day that I tried to hang myself, they, they were just yelling at me to do it. So what did you do, Aaron? When I started to lose sight, like when my vision was going blurry, I just sort of had this vision of me watching me. And then that girl watching me said, don't do this. It's not what you want. It's what the voices want, but it's not what you want. What did you do at that point? I called a friend and he came over. He told me to go to student health the next day. I was At the time, I was going to some classes at Dalhousie University in Halifax. And so I went to student psychological services or counseling services and asked to see someone as an emergency appointment that day. And they did. They made sure I had somewhere to go that night afterwards. So I spent the night at someone's house that I sort of knew and they were willing to help me out. And then the next day I went to student health, like not psychological counseling health, but other health. And they got my friend to come get me and drive me to the Nova Scotia Hospital, which is pretty much the river view of Nova Scotia. And that was the first time I was hospitalized for four months. And while you were dealing with all of that, you were still studying neuroscience. Now that is sheer determination. What kept you going? I believe that if I can do this degree, if I can do these classes, if I can keep doing that, then there's nothing wrong with me. Schizophrenia is not who you are. It's what you have. And it's an illness. As far as I'm concerned, the brain is an organ. The heart is an organ. You can get heart disease. The lungs are an, are an organ. You can get lung cancer. So the brain is an organ that can have a disease. So Erin, as you know, the focus of our conversation this week is hope. There are treatments that are scientifically proven to work, and there's lots of bright spots, and there have been many successes, but it's not always easy. So now we're going to hear some thoughts from our panel made up of family members talking about what they've learned along their own journeys with mental illness family is really important. You need an app. You need someone to advocate for you. You just, you have to have someone behind you. I have to say, I spent a lot of time learning of the mental illness and what my sister is doing and not doing and taking classes and, and 
participating in different activities. You're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to to love them through the hard times. You you have to realize that it's not themselves that is speaking out. It, it's not their true personality. They, there is no intent. They are ill. Even when things are bad, they're doing the best that they can to. I'm in a lucky position that I, I have a close relationship with my son even still. And I know that's really tricky to hold on to with schizophrenia. Um, and it feels, it just feels good. You know, he's not the same person maybe that thought he was going to be when he was a baby or maybe even the same person he was before he got diagnosed, but he's still just this wonderful person that I love so much. Uh, they're, they're all living independently. We're in great shape now. Uh, actually, one is married for two years. He's an excellent husband. Uh, they're all working. They all have cars. We just live very grateful day to day that we are where we are. And uh, our expectations in life are, are different than other people's. There will be no lawyers, no doctors, but we have great things happening with them. Uh, they're just different than what other people have. It's hard, yeah, because you run into a lot of walls along the way and you have to kind of uh, keep, keep trying, keep trying. So Aaron, we just heard from a bunch of families. So in light of what we just heard, I want to ask you now, what was it like for you and your family when you were going through those very hard times that you described earlier? Pretty soon following my uh, discharge from hospital at, in the Nova Scotia Hospital, I moved out to Vancouver, BC to do my master's at UBC. So the majority of my worst years were spent on the West Coast, whereas my parents lived where I grew up in New Brunswick. So really there was phone, there were phone calls, but when I would be ill, I would just minimal interaction didn't like talking to anyone didn't want to talk to them really which must have been so hard for them so what is your relationship like with your family it's really good I'm sure whenever someone has a baby and and having a, a really good time of it they think to thank their mom and dad a bit more for all that they did for them so now let's talk more about little Hannah and all of the emotions you felt bringing a daughter into this world. It was always a hope. Hannah was very wanted, very waited for. Oh, she's just a delight. Like the kids that I babysat in high school, like I was really involved with their lives. I knew the grandparents and the cousins and just spent a lot of time with them. So they were what made sure I didn't try to kill myself in high school. I just couldn't imagine someone telling five-year-olds, Aaron's not coming over anymore. What are you going to do differently with your daughter surrounding mental illness and, and mental health discussions? I mean, she'll learn pretty young that every morning and every night, Mama takes some medication. What always goes through my head is the 1% chance of getting schizophrenia in the general population. And when you have a parent with schizophrenia, it's 10%. And that just scares me. Yeah. I just really can't go there right now. So now being a mother and a partner and working and having a young child, and now we throw in a global pandemic, <laughs> as well as having schizophrenia, 
how how do you juggle all of these factors, Erin? Uh, I tell people I live in Hannah Bubble World. All last year, she she was a COVID baby, but she was a baby, which means all my energy was taken up taking care of her, and I didn't notice the world events as much. They just weren't as immediate. Everyone says 2020 was the worst year, but for me, 2020 was the best year of my life. I honestly cannot imagine what it would be like to live through COVID-19 and have delusions and hallucinations. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, this year with Hannah being born, I have never been so consistent with taking my medication. I could not bear to have to go through hospitalization with and not see her all day, every day. So I am so consistent with that. And what I'm on now, Loxapine and Abilify, I've been on it for a number of years and I know it works. You're listening to Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined, a podcast brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and BC Partner Organizations. I'm your host, Phaedra Aldridge. This podcast would not be possible without the support of the entire community. From the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank you for caring about mental illness. Together, we truly can make a difference. Welcome back to Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined. I'm Phaedra. Thanks for sticking with us, and here's where we left off. I'm speaking with Erin Hawks Imaru, a neuroscientist, a wife, a mom, who also lives with schizophrenia. Erin, we were just talking about the fact that you're a peer support worker with the Vancouver Coastal Health Assertive Community Treatment, otherwise known as the ACT team. You help people through mental health and addiction challenges. Why is it so important for you to give back in this way and for you to be a part of the ACT team? It's so powerful to say to someone, I know, I know what you're going through. And yes, my clients and I have vast differences in terms of socioeconomic status and type of symptoms and all that. So I can't say I know to everything in their lives, but some parts of it I can say, yeah, I know what that's like. And the responses have been really, I know that that's making a difference in their life. As I mentioned earlier, you are a published author. Your new book is called When Neurons Tell Stories, A Layman's Guide to Mental Illness and Health. So for those of us that haven't read your book yet, tell us a little bit about it. Uh, The main thread is my client's stories of mental illness, but also mental health. And I'm just putting out their hypotheses about what might be going on in their brain or some of the literature behind different experiences. So I have very typical mental illness chapters like hallucinations and delusions, addictions, paranoia. But then I also talk about things that are about mental health, such as trust. Like how, why do people trust me as a peer support worker? And what is trust in the neuroscience world? Things like spirituality that most people don't bring up with their clients because it's a touchy subject, but I found clients love talking about what they believe in and what they don't and why. Even I have a chapter on so many of my clients, I always buy them a coffee, that's what they want. And so many of them say, can we have the coffee in the park so I can have a smoke at the same time? And there's neuroscience behind putting a cigarette and a coffee together. So it's a little bit of everything. I read a quote that you once gave in an interview, Aaron, and I'm sure you talk about this in your books as well. And you said, I don't like the word recover because it's looking backwards. 
I like that. I have my own opinions on that statement, but I would love to hear your thinking behind that statement. So what did you mean when you said that? Well, recovery is trying to get again something you used to have. So my favorite analogy is weight. Like even if I reach on the bathroom scale, the weight I had pre-pregnancy, I've recovered my pre-pregnancy weight, but my body composition and shape in different places is different. I haven't really recovered. So I like the word discovery, which looks forward and says, okay, what do I have right now? And what can I do with it? So Aaron, if you could go back in time to your diagnosis way back when, did you ever think that you would be where you are today? Yes and no. Well, back then I hoped to have four children just like those quadruplets because I loved having the, the little brood around me all the time. Uh, so I saw myself having a bigger family, but for a lot of reasons that didn't happen. I had to grieve not having a big family, but I got to rejoice in that I do have Hannah. And so I just pour everything into her. What do you wish someone had said to you to give you hope in your darkest times? Just that there is hope. It would have been really powerful to speak to my own peer support worker if I had one. And to hear them say, you know, I went through really rough times too. And yet there's hope. No matter how dark it gets. And like to have someone say, yes, it's hard. It's going to be hard. But there's hope. And what does hope mean to you? I mean, now it means Hannah. Because before she was born, I had one of the delusions I had was, well, there were two main ones that I had. One was that I was going to set off a bomb somewhere, but it would be good because I would be the one sacrificed and save many. And then I also believed that I should commit suicide, not because I was suicidal, but because I figured, well, there'd be, what, six or seven organs I could donate and save six or seven lives for my one. That makes mathematical sense. But as soon as Hannah was born, like those just went away because I'm like, Hannah needs a mom. Aaron, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I think you are an incredible person. You are courageous and brave and an inspiration for all of us, whether we have schizophrenia or not. You truly are an inspiration for all of us. And I know that your story is going to give people hope and dispel some of the myths that are out there because you are living proof that yes, you have schizophrenia, but more than that, you're a mother, a wife, a scientist, and an author of two books. So you're living proof of, of what people with a serious mental illness can accomplish. Thank you for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and the BC Partners for Mental Health and Substance Use Information. We're a group of nonprofit agencies providing good quality information to help individuals and families maintain or improve their mental well-being. The BC Partners members are Anxiety Canada, BC Schizophrenia Society, Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research, Canadian Mental Health Association's BC Division, Family Smart, Jesse's Legacy, the North Shore Family Services Program, and Mood Disorders Association of BC, a branch of Lookout Housing and Health Society. The BC Partners are funded and stewarded by BC Mental Health and Substance Use Services, an agency of the Provincial Health Services Authority. For more information, visit heretohelp.bc.ca.